Hello and welcome to CoffeeNet Podcast, part of the CoffeeNet streaming network at coffeenet.tv. This is the place where we meet with coffee people and spill the beans about what it is really like to live the coffee life. Whether we're talking with CEOs of large coffee companies, roasters, or barista champions, we are going to get inside information you haven't heard before. I'm your host, Jake Leonti. I've been working in the coffee for over 20 years, starting as a barista, then roaster, green grader, globetrotter, importer, and now podcaster. Today, we are talking with Nick Stone, founder of Bluestone Lane. He will talk about difficulties through the pandemic, opening new markets, and what is next for the Aussie brand. Uh, My name is Nick Stone. I'm the founder and CEO of Bluestone Lane, which is an Australian-inspired coffee and cafe brand, headquartered in New York City, but we operate in nine markets across the U.S. Amazing. And what are what are the main markets that you're in now? We are located on both coasts, so from uh, Boston through to New York, New Jersey. We're in Philadelphia, we're in Washington, D.C., we have a store in Virginia, we're in Northern California, San Francisco, and also in the Bay Area. We're in uh, Los Angeles in Southern California, and we're opening a store in, our first store in Orange County. And earlier this year, we opened our first location in Texas, in Houston, and we plan to have five by the end of 2022. So we're... uh, we're on both coasts and we're, we're starting to dabble in the middle a little bit. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're just, just starting to get in towards the middle, creeping along the other border. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're taking it slowly and, um, and you know, carefully. So with this, I mean, you must be a master of why people choose to go to the places that they go. So why is it that you see that people choose to go to your cafe, why do they come there instead of any of the other myriad of options that they have? There's a couple of reasons and I've given this a lot of thought and and it also harks back to why I created Bluestone Lane and I had never worked in hospitality. I had no background in coffee. I I couldn't make the coffee to save myself. Uh, I really was a frustrated, unfulfilled uh, consumer and I wanted to create a coffee shop and a, and a cafe brand that was uh, felt consistent and authentic and authentic to the Australian coffee culture and the experiences that I'd get every day in Melbourne. And um, that's really inspired us. And in Australia, the coffee culture is, is specialty and premium. The chains do not dominate uh, in, in Australia. The largest chain is actually McCafe, and McCafe originated in Melbourne and, and it runs as almost like an autonomous business within the McDonald's flag, but it, it looks nothing like the McCafes that you, you sort of see in the States, but it's where Starbucks failed. There's no Duncan. So it's very much independent owned premium specialty. There's no drip coffee. It's espresso based and it was through mass European migration to Australia um, pre and post World War II. A lot of Italians and Greeks, and they they brought their espresso, espresso machines. So we went from tea-based drinking, British influence, through to coffee. Um, for for us, like why I think Bluestones resonated well is the most important thing is we're service-led. We're n- we are not product-led. 
we're service-led and that's because for myself that's very personal i wanted to feel like a local i didn't want to feel like a customer i want to walk in where the team and the proprietors know my name face and order that i feel part of the community and it's a safe space and it's a place where i can catch up with friends socialize disconnect uh and just feel like i'm, I'm part of the furniture so that's the first thing and the other two elements that are critical uh that have really sort of separated us from from the, a lot of the competition is we have not only specialty premium you know, best in class coffee and beverage, but we also have a, a really robust food program. So where you'd often go to cafes that have great coffee, but you know, no food, or you go to a lot of restaurants that have great food, but poor coffee. Uh, the most important thing in, in our eyes is being service led. So making people feel good. That's the most critical thing. Uh, and then, by absolutely having unrelenting focus on premium coffee and healthy made to order, progressive, uh, interesting food. And it's the combination of those three elements and trying to find that middle of the Venn diagram that uh, when, you know, when we do it consistently well, we're, we're pretty special. And that's our biggest challenge. Like can we continue to improve it and uh, maintain that premium position uh, with our ambitions around scale and entering new markets. And thus far, I'm just so fortunate. We've got an amazing team, an inspiring team, and uh, they care about the way people feel. Um, and that's, that's underpinned our success. Amazing. And when you started Bluestone Lane, was, was scaling to this size always the intention? No, not at all. The first Bluestone Lane was a hole in the wall in a subterranean class B building basement below a broken uh, escalator that had no visibility from the street and we weren't allowed to have a sandwich board out the front. There was no signage. It was a complete mystery. And uh, what was incredible was that it, it grew through the, the most important way to market a hospitality business, word of mouth. It wasn't pushing social media messages. It wasn't advertising. It was through this... this uh, the, the, China, the, the whispers between people and uh, the advocacy unsolicited, that really, really drove, uh, drove the awareness and the mystery around finding this Bluestone Lane. So the first one was around the corner from where I worked on Park Avenue. Uh, and then from there, uh, we opened a second one about, uh, we opened the first one in mid-July, the second one in October. And it wasn't until the following year in May that we opened our third location. And the third location was the first time we debuted the cafe concept. And that was a broader proposition with broader food, table service, uh, where it wasn't just focused on sort of coffee and, and, uh, and to go. And it wasn't in a business district area. It was in a residential area in West Village where we, we lived in Manhattan. And um, that really put us on the map and blew the brand out in a big way. And I think after that moment, we sort of thought, wow, I'm, this is actually resonating and working really well. Maybe we can do a few more. And I didn't actually leave my full-time job in financial services until uh, mid-2016. So we had 12 locations when I actually decided to go full-time. And uh, I guess at that point where I took one year sabbatical, I sort of started to think, wow, this could be a lot bigger than, than maybe what we thought when we were formulating the business back in you know, 2000. And, uh, 10. It, I guess the first idea came in 2010 when I was studying in business school in New York and I was a student and I just couldn't believe that the coffee was just a, they, they treated it as a commoditized product. I was like, no, no you've got to go to your local. And they're like, no, no, we just get coffee. 
And I'm like, no, no, like getting coffee in Australia is like going to see the barista who knows you and makes you feel special. And, and it was a different type of approach. So I knew there was an opportunity, but I didn't know how big it could be. But um, now, now I'm really excited about the chance to reach more locals and, and provide venues and experiences which enable people to have real human connection and feel like they're part of something bigger and that they have that we can sort of break this epidemic around loneliness and isolation and uh, just be more understanding and do that through through great hospitality and what would you say is your your biggest challenge when you are opening a new market you know so if you're are you still going organic or, or what is it exactly I would say that the biggest challenge we have uh, in entering a new market is it's all around culture. You know, how do you translate the culture that you've created in certain markets and introduce that into somewhere new where there's not the, there's not a precedent store or role modeling. It's not tangible. A lot of that will be through videos and paper and, um, I think that's the hardest, the hardest thing, but we've worked out ways in which we can mitigate that. And we have an amazing new store opening team that really helps translate the importance around our purpose, our values, our key success factors, how we define hospitality in Bluestone, which is speed times experience. That's how we talk about hospitality, speed times experience. And uh, so I think you need to spend a lot of time and, and you may, you have to make a lot of investments. So you might be, you know, in, people think the investments, the capex in building the store and the equipment, the machinery, but so much of the investment will be in the people that you send to train, to help recruit, to embed those principles and values. And then when it opens to continue to coach and support, encourage and provide that feedback that uh, they start to develop uh, and resonate with the, with the, the true magic that, that, that is translated in other markets. So I would say that that's, that's the biggest challenge. You can get coffee there, you can get machines, you can get some great leases, but um, you know, it is certainly that service element, that culture that's the hardest. It's interesting because it, it seems, uh, and I've already known this, but, but even just from what you're saying now that Bluestone has always been very much like a people driven business and mm. I think it's interesting because right now everybody's trying to veer away from that because HR is like everybody's biggest nightmare at the moment. So how, how are you keeping staff and keeping them interested? And, you know, how, have you experienced the same issue with turnovers that the rest of the country has? Yeah, I would say that, I would say that, um, you know, people are always going to be the, the most the most memorable part of a hospitality engagement but also the most complicated because people have personalities and they have opinions and they're constantly evolving and um they're not like a product that sits on a shelf it doesn't talk back um you know it's, it's a magical part but it's the thing that needs the most amount of investment and has the most complexity um for us we we look to recruit based on values we don't look at hospitality experience we look far more a lot we we look at teammates through the lens of do, do they do their personal values and their behaviors align with our values in the company and are they obsessed with making our locals feel happy and good do they love being part of the team do they love 
contributing and playing their role in the team. And, you know, we use technology also to augment so that the service proposition is still human led, but technology does augment it to make it uh, a little bit easier and to reduce some of the human capital intensity. But no, I'm a big believer in human connection. I'm a big believer in service led. I know um, there's challenges right now uh, with the participation rate and the amount of talent that's available for the hospitality industry. But ultimately, I think people love being served by humans and I think they love they love human connection. And you know, I think you just got to work out what your proposition is. And for us, uh, we provide a, a, an experience based around that. Certainly our coffee shop versus our cafe coffee shops more focused on your know, speed and uh, fulfillment. Uh, but you know, recognition is still particularly important. But cafes are more like daytime restaurants where human connection is really valued. And uh, you know, I think it just comes down to your proposition. And I think there's lots of capacity for both. And we're seeing tremendous success with brands that are anchored around drive-throughs, where the human interaction is very limited. You know, it's ordering on your phone and picking up curbside, and it can be very successful. And we've we've got we have that technology enabled in a few of our stores, and a lot of our locals love it. But a lot of our locals also just love walking in and knowing that they they're recognised, and that there's a smile, and that there's there's a level of engagement, five seconds, three seconds, 10 seconds. I'm not talking about a long conversation, but that recognition piece is really important. It makes them feel like they're part of something bigger and it can turn around, they can turn around their day. They can have a really challenging morning because they're up all night with their a sick child or a young baby, or they had problem, you know, challenged with their partner or their health or whatever. And then you know, they walk in and they feel special, you know, because they feel like they're, they're actually part of it. They're a local, not a customer, not a homogenous, impersonal, you know, um, just, an, uh, just a, someone that's going to pay. We are focused on making someone feel like a local where we know you and we've invested in the relationship and it's ultimately reciprocal. I think that's a huge difference in, in, in my opinion, that's that's part of the success of Bluestone for certain. At Bluestone Lane, it's the same as Starbucks, same as I'd say some of the big other big guys. Espresso coffee. Espresso coffee is a tiny part of our menu. Mm. Very few people drink espressos. Very few. Yeah. Like almost none. <laughs> <laughs> so like in our business, it's more important to have an amazing flat white and latte and cold brew than it is to have an amazing espresso or have a, have a pour over. They're not valued by a core customer. No. But where a lot of people come in and say, well, you, to be a legitimate specialty coffee business, you have to offer these things. And we, we obviously have espresso and we have single O, but like it's, it's not in any way, shape or form, the majority of the business. So where, where do you have to channel your energy and where do you have to focus? And I'm not saying it's a right or wrong thing. I'm just saying that, that that's, the way it works and in fact in Australia which most people say is the most sophisticated sort of consistent coffee especially coffee market in the world not many people drink espressos there either <laughs> so um, you know it's just it's just uh, an interesting thing to just to take a step back and just just observe and uh, yeah become a student helps a lot and, and, and once you're prepared and when you've done the work you're going to inevitably have a lot of challenges. One of our core values at Bluestone, we have four values. One of them is ride the wave. 
And that is because at any moment in time, the surf could be good, it could be choppy, it could be uh, everything going well, and then suddenly the wind changes direction and it's horrible conditions. And that's how hospitality is. And you need to be really sort of agile and uh, be able to adapt and flexible, but determined and resilient. And I've always found a lot of a lot of comfort, a deep sense of comfort from when I've done the work and I have planned and I've thought about it so that when things do happen, yeah, sure, they are a surprise, but it's not a red alert, I'm going to collapse. I have no idea how to respond. It's actually, okay, I've thought about this. I've had, I've observed this. I've written this down or I know in my head that these are probably the best next couple of steps to address this issue. Might be 100% right, but probably gives us a better chance than not. That, that I can be successful. And what, what is the, like the number one mistake that you've made that you wish someone would have been able to warn you about in advance, like that you would, you would pass on to somebody else? I think you want to be really careful when you start something about the team that you form, you, you, you form the business with. Yeah. I think that that's probably, one of the, a lot of founders make that mistake, you know, that they feel that they can't do it themselves or they, they feel like they need to bring in a lot of other people to help them. And I, I think that I see a lot, of, um, a lot of founders that have a lot of trouble with their co-founders or former partners. And, you know, I think this industry or any business, it, it's going to take everything you got. Like these are not easy. Even the most successful businesses, let's take, Tesla or Elon Musk, right? The sacrifices you have to make and the pressure and the commitment for not one year, two years, five years, for decades is so immense. I think you have to have so much confidence in your in the people that join the business early on, especially if they're co-founders or partners. And then if you don't, and, and lots of people, you know, things change in their life you can go from being really excited to suddenly you have different responsibilities or you have different sort of financial conditions or physical conditions or health conditions whatever just having a process and how you can manage that change and they're, they're really bold and um, scary things to talk about at the start like what happens if we have a dissolution or what happens if someone doesn't want to be in the business anymore i think it's just much better to deal with that up front and uh, it's probably something that which save would have saved me a lot of heartache but, and, and time. Uh, but I think that, you know, it's a bold, it's, a, it's probably like, um, uh, you know, agreeing to uh, producing a will, you know, which is scary because you're talking about, you know, where your assets go when you die, but you know, it's so much, you know, you need to do one because it protects those that you really care about. But, you know, it's, it's scary to talk about that the day you're gonna die, that this could happen. It's a bit of an extreme example, but I, I do think that, and um, a lot of people I know in the hospitality industry have had a lot of challenge around this sort of topic. Yeah. Got to have your exit plan, right? Well, I think you just need to have a plan that um, where, where everyone can feel successful. And if it, it you know, not, it, partnerships don't often work out and that's totally fine. That's the reality. That's, that's facts. It's just having a process around it that you've talked about early on, right at the start, not when you're in the heat of an emotional dissolution uh, is, is good practice and, and beneficial for everybody. 
Nick, what do you find to be the most gratifying part of owning cafes and running this type of business? Two most gratifying things by mile. First of all, um, is the way it makes uh, people feel. It turns around their day. Uh, it's magical. For us, we serve about 75,000 people a week now. So that's a huge thing. It feels incredible that you can have that reach and that impact. And the vast majority of our locals really love it. They come and they have a great time and they feel good. The second part is without a doubt, uh, the intrinsic reward of your team, providing people opportunities, uh, seeing them flourish, promoting from within. Uh, we had hundreds of promotions last year. It was quite incredible. I think we had 130. It was just unbelievable. But you know, through growth and opening more stores and your more markets, it provides that opportunity for new head boosters, team captains, general managers, operations managers, and roles in a corporate. Um, that's a huge thing. I see that, that a lot of our team have had inconsistent careers in hospitality and, and they've had very poor benefits. They may never have had paid time off or, or health insurance or things like that and, and be able to provide that for your team to know that it improves their quality of life and that you want them to be successful. You want them to stay. They have clarity about what they need to do consistently. You, you really are desperate for them to continue to develop so you can promote them from, through the system is incredibly rewarding. And I've, I've absolutely loved those moments where I've told, uh, I've, I've um, promoted and rewarded. And, uh, you know, there's a few moments where we've, people have thought they would have never earned that amount of money or they've never had a holiday where they, they were actually paid during, during the time they were, they were on leave, that they've always had to take unpaid leave and, and going on holiday is a stress because they're, they're not earning anything. Um, that's, very, you know, that's obviously a very different way of life in Australia. We have very strong social security infrastructure. We're very fortunate. And be able to do that uh, for Bluestone has been wonderful. Yeah. That's really cool. How do you find balancing your rigorous work schedule with your family life? Well, it's just a balance. It's very hard. It's, uh, there's enormous sacrifices. My, my wife, Alexander, who's an entrepreneur herself and incredibly successful in business and in sport, in art, and she's just an extraordinary mother. Like, you, you know, I have an amazing support network. Like Bluestone Lane doesn't exist without, without her and without uh, some other critical people in my life. You know, it's very fortunate to work with my brother to have someone that, that you, you trust and has, has really great insights and knows me really well. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, um, you have to make a lot of sacrifices. You've got to pick what you're going to focus on and can't do everything and it's got to be disciplined. And, uh, you know, I love being a dad. I love being a husband. I love my family, but you know, I care deeply about Bluestone. It is another family and it's really, really important to me. And I have a huge responsibility. So it's, it's not binary. It's not one or the other. It's, it's, um, it's fluid and you gotta, you gotta work on it all the time and you gotta say no to other things. You know, I'd like to play more golf or I'd like to go skiing more. This is not, not possible. Um, but you know, that's okay. And I get a lot of reward from doing other things. One more business question. And then I have a couple of like kind of fun questions for you. Um, what would you say now is the most important thing for any retail business to have? 
the most important thing I think for any retail business right now is a really deep sense of purpose and values. I think that they have to understand their purpose and values because I think right now in retail businesses, the biggest challenge is attracting talent and talent also will be your differentiator. So many businesses had, um, they had intellectual property around products or distribution and, and a lot of those barriers have been removed through technology and through more advanced supply chain and honestly the internet age which democratized information around products and the availability of products so for us like i think the most important thing is like your team and who you can attract who you can retain and so much of that is linked to that feeling of purpose we talk a lot about purpose mastery and autonomy but i think purpose is is like critical and why you do what you do and what are your values? And does everyone understand? And they bought into it. And is it sincere and authentic? And are you a good person? And you live that way. And that, that's really important. And that's that's where I think is, is critical for uh, for retailers, particularly in America and the Western world, where democratic values are you know critical, you know, an essential way of life. Well, uh, thank you so much for, for answering these questions. One of the things, though, I just want to say that I, I think is part of Bluestone Lane's focus and, or sorry, is uh, success is, is your focus. I, I think you seem to have like such a laser focus for, you know, what the brand is and what is important to you and what's important to the company. And, you know, that I think so many businesses don't succeed because leadership doesn't have that level of focus. Um, so that's that's an incredible thing. So that's why it's really valuable to, to speak to you. And I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with me about this.